we're working good, so hopefully everything will be wonderful. There's never people in the front, so this is, this is it's good. It's surprising, though. It's like the movie theater. Nobody sits at the front. Let's open uh, in Scripture. You can open to Matthew 5, but we're gonna, we have a bit of a preamble before we get there this morning. But let's just, uh, let's just spend a couple minutes in prayer as we turn there. God, as we examine your word this morning, as we talk about the Old Testament and the law and what its purpose is, God, I pray you would give our minds clarity based on what this book says for us and to us. God, help us to understand your word in a, in a more meaningful way today so that we can enter into an even more personal and more intimate relationship with you. We love you. Amen. So this, uh, this week's question, uh, I was very thankful for a question where I felt like I knew where I was going for a change. The last number of weeks have been a little bit more challenging in the sense of I haven't really spent a, a lot of time and thought in those issues. Well, this one, this one I have, and this one is, I think, going to be very practical, very relevant for all of us, uh, because at the very heart of this question is really this, is how do we read the Bible? And I think, man, it doesn't get more practical than that. We need to learn, we need to understand what this book is, how to read it, how to interpret it, and how to apply it uh, to our lives. And of course, those of you who have gone, uh, maybe you've moved around a few different times and you've been to different churches, uh, you know that not everyone agrees. And sometimes there's differences of opinion here and there. And so this morning, what we're going to really examine is how are we supposed to read Scripture? Now, the actual question is this, is what is the role of the law both in the life of the unsaved and in the life of the believer. Now, we're not talking about the law like, like our judicial law today. We mean the Old Testament. I'm going to clarify uh, a few things in there this morning. If you are part of this church, then you know what I'm about to say. Uh, well, maybe you don't know what I'm about to say. You know what I'm about to say is true, and what we really work hard at explaining is in our church, we believe that this word, the, the Bible, it is completely perfect. It is from God. There are no mistakes in it, and it is meant as the sole authority of how we understand who God is. And so we study it, and we study it hard. The verse that, uh, the reason that I'm saying this is is because we're going to try and balance Old Testament and New Testament this morning, but in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, this is where we get this idea from. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And that's, that's the hope. We want to be competent. We want to be equipped. We want to know, here's who God is. Here's what he said to us. Here's how we are to live. And so this is, I hope, going to be very encouraging uh, to you this morning. And I hope a little bit clarifying. Because I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times in Christianity, we have this view that there's, there's, two books in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is filled with, you know, there's some pretty epic stories and some amazing things that happen, but there's a lot of confusing things, too. Things that are more difficult to understand and interpret. And and so often we focus far more on the New Testament after the life of Jesus uh, than we do on the Old Testament. And we start to get this dichotomy in our minds where they're, they're not the same. And I think that's actually a dangerous way to look at it because I think, and we're going to see this this morning, is that they are actually two parts of the same story. 
Um, we're going to look at a video by the Bible Project in a, in a few minutes, and I'll explain why in a, in a little while. But as we get there, something that they always say, and it's been stuck in my mind over and over, is that the Bible is one story that leads to Jesus. That's the whole point of Scripture. And so if we're reading the Old Testament, and we're not seeing it in light of God's plan for salvation and redemption, we're probably reading it wrong. And so this morning, we're going to clarify a few of these things about Old Testament law, what it means. The reason for this is we, all of us, at some point, understand there's some laws that we follow, and there's some that we don't. There's Old Testament laws that we can all agree on, like, uh, do not murder, okay? No problem, we can, we can get on board with that. But then there's, there's laws about shaving, well, some of you have that problem. I don't have to worry about that. But some people have that problem about how we cut our hair, about the fabrics that are in our clothing. There's all kinds of these very obscure laws that we, we well, we don't follow those. So why do we follow some, but why do we not follow others? Should we follow all of them? Should we follow none of them? Well, spoiler alert, you shouldn't kill people. So we're going you know, to stay that there are some that we should follow. But we do need to clarify what exactly we mean by the law. About two months ago, I took a seminary class, uh, and it was called the Pentateuch, which is what? First five books of the Bible, right? That's the Greek word. In, in Hebrew, we use the word Torah, and it's often translated uh, as the law. And sometimes that word gets a little bit confusing in us, but, but really what the law is this, is the story of Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's a story leading somewhere, and there are all kinds of laws interspersed throughout there. There's about 613 different laws that we read in the Old Testament. And so sometimes when we say law, we might think, oh, we're only talking about the Ten Commandments. Or when we say law, we think maybe we're only talking about the Pentateuch. But some of the New Testament writers talk about it when they say law and the prophets. And they're talking about the entirety of the Old Testament. And so I think we need to clarify that when we say this word, what does the law say? Or when Jesus says, and we're going to read this, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What exactly is he talking about in the sense of the law? So for this morning's purposes, if we could say it this way, is what we're looking at are the very specific commands that were given over 600 commands that were given about here's things you should do, here's things that you shouldn't do. But more importantly than that, we're gonna, what we're going to learn this morning, what we're going to figure out is why these things are written to us. So what laws do we know that we should obey versus what we shouldn't obey? Well, there's a, a theologian named Thomas Schreiner and uh, there's an interview, you can just YouTube this, you can uh, go to YouTube and write Thomas Schreiner, The Law, and it's just a few minute interview with him about answering this exact question. And I think it was very helpful for me, and so I just want to read to you a little excerpt of what he says in there. So here's what he writes, or here's what he says. None of the commands of the Old Testament are binding in and of themselves. The whole Old Covenant has passed away. So really the question is, why do we keep any of the commands? Some are repeated in the New Testament, such as don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, etc. So is there a, ration, a rationale in what the New Testament writers are doing? 
The New Testament writers are under now what Paul calls the law of grace in Galatians 6, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, and Galatians 5. They clarify it later that the law of love is actually the law of Christ. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And so the law of Christ is fundamentally about loving God and loving others. Well, what is that love? What does it look like? Well, if you love, you will honor your father and mother. If you love, you won't commit adultery. If you love, you won't lie. Some of these commands, and it's not surprising that some of these commands, they pass over to the New Testament. They are not required because they are part of the Old Covenant. They are required because the New Testament indicates that they are part of the law of Christ. So when we read something in the New Testament that is quoted from the Old Testament that reminds us that this is still true. And, and this just, just it makes sense, doesn't it? Is if God, cre- and we talked about this last week, if God created us in his image and he loves us desperately, then life has value. And so you shouldn't kill. That's Old Testament, but that's also New Testament. We talked about this again last week because Jesus also clarified further that it's not just about the physical act of killing, but your own heart and what happens within you. And that if you speak poorly against somebody or if you have hatred towards them in your heart, then you're already guilty of committing murder. So Jesus is trying to show us that all these Old Testament laws like don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, don't commit adultery. All of these things are not somehow irrelevant now because the new covenant has come, but they have been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus so that we can be equipped to actually live in the law of love. So, how do we love? What do we do? Well, let's look to Matthew 5, 17 to 20, where Jesus says this. And I've already referenced this, but let's read these verses together. It says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So commentator Michael Wilkins helps us understand. He says this, Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament in that it not only points to him, not only in its specific predictions of a Messiah, but also in its sacrificial system. It looked forward to his great sacrifice of himself. Uh, pardon me, in many events in the history of Israel which foreshadowed his life as God's true son, also in the law which only he, perfect, only he perfectly obeyed, in the wisdom literature which set, before, oh, I can't talk this morning, guys, sorry, which set forth a behavioral pattern that he exemplified. Jesus' gospel of the kingdom does not replace the Old Testament, but rather it fulfills, sorry, but rather it but rather fulfills it as Jesus' life and ministry, coupled with his interpretation, complete and clarify God's intent and meaning in the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament laws, in a sense, are this. is This is God's way of saying, here's how I want you to live. Because it values life, because I've created you, and, and I want you to 
care for one another and to love one another. And we're going to see this in the video in just a few moments, but the problem is this. Have you ever read through the Old Covenant and gone, who could possibly keep all these laws? That's the point. Right? That's the exact point. Is, so Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, I wouldn't have known what sin was except because of the law. The law showed me that I was sinful. The law showed me that I needed a Messiah. And so when we think about the Old Testament, sometimes we can start to think about it in two different senses. Well, the Old Testament is about if you obey the law, then you're good. But the whole point of the law is that actually you can't do it. You're not sufficient to perfectly keep God's standard and God's laws. There's just, there's a problem in our hearts. And so when we think about it with the sacrificial system, well, in the Old Testament, when you sinned, you then had to make a sacrifice of this innocent animal. And sometimes we can read it in the sense of going, well, that sacrifice, that, that forgave them of their sin, but that was not the point. The point was that they were being obedient to what God had called them to do to say, look, innocent, your sin requires a payment, and this innocent animal is a representation of how I am going to one day deal with sin with sufficiency so that it is done and is dealt with. It was the obedience of offering that sacrifice in faith, knowing that God would forgive sin one day somehow. And of course, those in the Old Testament, many of them didn't understand exactly what this looked like. They weren't prepared uh, to see all of these things. We have the Bible, the whole thing. We can look back and we can see, oh, this is foreshadowing. This is leading towards, this is bringing us to Jesus. All of this is there. Let's flip to Romans chapter 4. And I just want to read a couple of verses here. And then we're going to flip to Galatians 3 and a couple of verses there as well. Again, the Old Testament is not the sense of a gospel by works and then the New Testament, a gospel by faith. The whole, both of them are the same. And Paul clarifies that for us by saying this, Romans 4, 1 to 3. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, well, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief, his faith that God would do what God said he was going to do. You can flip to Galatians chapter 3, just a few books ahead. Paul writes this for us, verses 7 to 9. He says this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So John Piper clarifies this really beautifully. He says this, The Pentateuch preached justification by faith. It preached the gospel, and it pointed to Christ when it did it. The Old Testament preached justification by faith. It was not the sense, and we need to get out of this mindset of looking at it and going, man, they just had to obey all these laws. And then they were good. That was never the intent of the Old Testament. 
In fact, you know, 613 laws, how could we possibly obey that? Well, just go real, real simple. Exodus 20, the first 10 commandments. Just read through them and how far do we get before we're in trouble? Right? Parents, how old was your child when they first lied? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. Right? It doesn't take long. And all of a sudden, we're guilty. We know in James, it says that he who breaks one little bit of the law is what? He's guilty of breaking all of it. So it's not this matter of like, well, I, well, I sinned once, but it was okay, so now I'm good. It's no, you're, you are now a lawbreaker. You now stand condemned. And so the Old Testament, it wasn't this sense of let's give more laws so that people can more clearly obey exactly what God wants. It's, it's really a bad way to go then. And when you read through the Old Testament, you see, well, that's exactly true, is every time these laws are given, what do we see? We see people breaking them. And then God having to come and deal with those things and, and give more laws and clarify more and more things. The Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. The New Testament is the completion, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. God's plan of salvation was always through the shed blood of Jesus, and the law was written to show us that. So when Jesus comes, Jesus does what we could not. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. He didn't sin. He didn't break a single one of these things. Piper again says, when the law is understood in its entirety, its aim is that Jesus Christ gets the glory as the one who provides the only grounds for our imputed righteousness through faith. When we read that law in the Old Testament, we go, man, how could anybody do this? We go, all right, nobody could. And then Jesus comes, the Son of God, to be our atoning sacrifice for sin. And he, the only reason he could do that is because he sufficiently fulfilled the requirements of the law. That's the moment that all these people in the Old Testament were waiting for. They were living towards this hope that one day God would deal with sin in its completion. And he did. At this point, I want to show, it's just a five and a half little uh, minute video here for you. And This is a free website. It's called The Bible Project. You can Google it and go to their, uh, their website. There's all kinds of resources to help you understand. If you get stuck in like, you know, you're reading some obscure passage, you're like, I don't know how to deal with this. You can go to their website and, and they'll always have a, like a five to ten minute video on how do I understand this type of book? How do I understand this theme? How do I understand these various things? And they do it in such a helpful way. And so I just want to play this video just so you can see and understand a little bit more clearly, uh, succinctly, and other, you know, I probably should have just played this and then not even bothered coming up. But I guess I have to do something. So let's watch this together. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of 
the law. Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. 
But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's Spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. So what we see is the law is meant to be this pattern, right, of how to love God and how to love people. But as we saw there, the problem is our hearts are broken. And that's the need for Jesus. That's the need for a mediator, someone who could come and help us. And so I just want to read to you from Jeremiah, a fulfillment of this Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so then, now we have this this truth of where now Jesus has risen from the dead and he's sent out the Holy Spirit so that we can actually be equipped, at least in part, to fulfill the law as well. That we would learn how to love others and to care for others. Of course, there's a problem, right? Is that we don't often do that. Often, we get selfish. And we do the things that we want to do. And we respond in frustration or anger or whatever it might be. In Romans 7, Paul talks about this with this, this great sense of there's, there's a war going on within our heart because we've been given this new, this new way. The Holy Spirit is in us so that we know what is right and what is true. And we know how to treat people and we know how to love God. But it's always at war against this sin nature which has corrupted us. So sometimes we listen to the Holy Spirit and we do what is right and and God uses those moments and then sometimes we don't. And this passage for us in Jeremiah is, is this idea of it's partially been fulfilled with the Holy Spirit but that there's also this one day coming when we will get to be in heaven with God where the sin nature is no longer part of us and we now know how to love God exactly the way that he intended us to. And then by loving God, then we love others completely. There's no more selfishness, no more hurt, no more pain, none of those things. So let's, let's go back to the question that we started with, and, and I know 
this was a lot of preamble to answer this question, but I think understanding the Old Testament, understanding the law appropriately is necessary for us to understand what role the law plays in our lives. So let's answer the question first for a non-believer. Remember, in Romans 7, Paul reflects back and says, I wouldn't have known what sin was except from the law. So the primary or the starting place of the law for the unbeliever is so that they might see that they need a Savior, that they might see their heart, that they would look in the mirror and recognize that I cannot possibly in my own obey enough, do enough good, right? And, and, and this goes totally countercultural with basically everything that's being taught. As long as you're a good enough person, as long as your good outweighs the bad, as, but who gets to determine that? Who gets to say where that line is? Well, we think that God does. And so the point of the Old Testament law is to show us that we cannot earn salvation. We, we simply can't because our hearts are broken. And when we recognize that, so before we come to Christ, when we recognize, man, I cannot possibly earn salvation, that is the first thing that the Old Testament does. Again, it should have us going, who could possibly obey all of this? Correct answer, nobody. But here's the good news is God didn't just create this, so many rules that were so complex for you so that there was no hope. He actually did it so that you wouldn't hope in yourself. So that we would see, I can't do it. I need help. I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and we were both acknowledging this reality. It was when we go through difficulty and, and hardships, and we want to ask somebody for help. How many of you find that really easy? Man, we will suffer like dogs before asking for help sometimes. Our own pride, our own arrogance, our own ego, whatever it might be. I just, I don't, and, we, and we justify it with, I don't want to put that person out. But isn't the opposite of that true? When somebody comes to you and says, man, I really need help, and we go, man, like I would love to walk this journey with you. Because we know that's good. We know it's right. We want to help those that we care about. And yet, somehow within us, we just don't want to ask for help. Well, the law shows us I am in desperate need of help. The law shows us that there was one who could be our mediator because he did fulfill the law, because he did everything that was right, because he didn't have sin nature. And so, in a holistic sense, stepping back from just the idea of the commands of law, but the Old Testament as a whole exists so that we can see that this Messiah is coming, and so that when Jesus comes on the scene, we can go, that Jesus, he is who he claimed he was. And so, if we ever have doubt or concern, man, is Jesus really the only way? Well, we can go back to the law, and we can be reminded of, yes, because he is who he claimed he was. He has done what God led for us to see all through the Old Testament. So yes, there's specific predictions about the Messiah and prophecies that are written so that we can see and we can go, well, this, this, this is Jesus. But also so that we can see all of these foreshadowing, this way of how to live and how to understand and, and how to love God in a way that honors God effectively. 
So we go back to what Schreiner explained at the beginning. How do we love? Just like the Old Testament says, don't kill. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your parents. All of these things that we only can obey in part. Once we, are, once we receive Christ, then we go, okay, now I can do it. So for the unbeliever, it all shows and points towards Jesus. For those that then are Christians, what role does the law have? And this is where it gets a little bit iffy because sometimes people look at it from t- too many extremes where they look at it and say, the Old Testament's irrelevant. It has no bearing on me anymore. But that's only if we think the Old Testament was about law-keeping and not about the character of God. If we understand that the Old Testament is pointing us towards Jesus, then does the law have any impact on my life currently? Absolutely it does because it shows me what God is like. It shows me what he has called me to do and how he has called me to live. The difference between the old and the new is that now I have the Holy Spirit, so I'm actually equipped to fulfill that law. I'm actually able to do the things that God longs and wants for us to do. So does it impact us? Does it have importance to us? Absolutely. Now let me clarify this last detail because this is, it goes back to this idea of why do we obey some of them and not others? Well, there's this, I guess, division that theologians make about the laws, and they call them either the moral law or the ceremonial law. And the moral law are exactly that. Things like don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, all those things of these are moral issues that God wants you to keep. Not so that you can go to heaven, right? Not keep them so that you can earn your way into heaven. God wants you to honor him and love him. And when we're given the Holy Spirit, we're able to do those things, at least in part. But then there's these other things, these ceremonial laws, and that's what we said, like like fabrics that we wear, the haircuts that we get, the food that we eat, all of these things, and and we don't follow them. But maybe sometimes we think, why don't I? I don't really have a good answer for that. Well, the simple answer is this, is as you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you see that God calls the people and he separates them from everybody else and he says, I'm going to use you to show the nations what I am like. So then he gives all these laws so that they would stand out from the culture around them, so that they would be different, so that they would show people, here's who God is. And so these ceremonial things, well, we don't follow them anymore. Why not? Well, because we read in Acts where, you know, Peter sees the sheet coming down and there's all these different animals on it that are unclean in his mind. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, eat it. Eat it. And Peter goes, never. My lips have never touched anything unclean. He's still stuck in this idea of, I got to obey everything just right. And Jesus says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Now, in the broader context that Peter recognizes what God's saying is the Gentiles, the Jews, there's no division. They are all part of God's family. God wants all nations to be brought in. And so these ceremonial laws of, of food, well, Paul argues in Romans 14, he argues you, you, you don't need to follow those anymore. 
Because those were given to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose, but now the substance, the completion of that has come. Jesus is here, and so, so take and eat. But here's the thing that I think is important, too, to recognize. Is in that same passage, what Paul says is he's arguing, and he kind of says, the one who eats recognizes he has the freedom to eat all things. But the one who doesn't eat and abstains from that, he, he isn't condemned. Paul says he does it to the Lord too. And so what we need to remember is especially, let's say, the Messianic Jews, Jewish people who have acknowledged that Jesus is their Savior, they probably obey a lot more laws, ceremonial, than we do. Not because they're trying to earn their way into heaven, but because to them those ceremonial laws have meaning and purpose. And they point to Jesus and they remind them of Jesus. And so they don't follow them with this rigidity of going, if I don't obey this, I'm in trouble. They go, I just, I just want to follow God and these things remind me of who he is. And so I want to keep some of these ceremonial things out of a desire to honor him. And, and Paul says, the one who eats and the one who doesn't, they both do it to honor God. And so we're freed from the obligation of obeying these ceremonial laws, but that doesn't mean that some don't still go out and obey those laws. The difference being is that they're not doing it to try and earn salvation. And that's the key. And, and I just I want to get this across as clear as I can, so forgive me if I've been saying this over and over and over again, but the Old Testament is not some kind of different covenant that was so unattainable and now there's something that is attainable, it was all one story. It's all one thing. God's saying, here, look, you need help. You can't possibly earn your way into heaven. And so the, if the Old Testament was about salvation by merit, by works, then the Old Testament failed big time. But Paul says it wasn't, because look, Abraham believed God, and so it was counted to him as righteousness. The sacrificial system was the faith and belief that when I offer the sacrifice, that someday God will fulfill that in some sufficient way so that all sin can be paid for. It wasn't this belief of, oh, I've done this, I better sacrifice this so that I have now a right standing with God. It was faith and belief. Obedience that God was going to do something. And we know that God did. And so when we read the Old Testament, when we read the New Testament, we need to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus. That the Old Testament is fulfilled and completed. So what role does the law have to play? I would argue a great deal. Because it helps us see who God is. It helps us understand the story of salvation. And it points us to the fact that now that we have the Holy Spirit, we are actually equipped to love God and to love others beyond anything we ever could have done before. So the issue should not be looking at it and going, man, I'm not under obligation to obey the old covenant. The old covenant is irrelevant to me. I, I think we're making the old covenant into something that it was never meant to be. And we're like trying to divide them. Should I not murder people? Absolutely. <laughs> but because I don't murder people, do I get to go to heaven because I've done something right and good? We're missing the point then. We're missing the point of the Old Testament. So let's read it in light of Jesus. Let's acknowledge, let's understand that we have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can effectively love God and love people.
That's the command that is given to you today. Let's pray. God, as we, as we fundamentally think about how to read and interpret Scripture, would you help us not try and find these divisions and somehow look at the Old Testament in this archaic, old, irrelevant way, but help us to see it in the light in which it was written, that we would see that we desperately need a Savior. And so, God, for those who don't know you, those who are outside of a relationship with you, we pray that when they read that old covenant law, that it would do exactly what it was intended to do, show them of their need for a Savior. God, for us who are Christians, those of us who have made Jesus our Lord and our Savior, God, help us to not look back on the Old Testament with a sense of irrelevance, but help us to look at it with this sense of completion and fulfillment in the life of Jesus so that now we are equipped to actually do what you have called us to do. So God, would you deal with the selfishness in our hearts, the pride and the, the sin nature that still fights every single day. Would we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we might do what is right and what is good, not because doing right and doing good gives us this chance of going to heaven. Help us to never get stuck in this idea of works and earning it. Rather, help us to focus on the cross. Help us to see that Jesus did what we could not. And so now we are equipped to live in a way that honors you. So God, help us to love you this week. Help us to love the people that we interact with and we encounter. God, there are some in our lives that are easy to love, and there are some in our lives that we find very difficult. And so we ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit to do what is right and to love them unconditionally the way that you love us. God, thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for what they mean to us. Help us to follow your ways so that you would receive glory and honor and that others would see you in us. God, go with us this week. Thank you for all that you've done. Amen. Just a reminder, of course, that if you're visiting, there's snacks and coffee. I think the coffee's ready, isn't it? No? See, I told you, it's been that kind of a morning. Let's, let's do communion first, considering that that's what we do. 1 Corinthians, if you just want to flip ahead, wherever you may have been. I'm just going to read these verses for us, and then, and then we'll take communion together. Starting in chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes this for us. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You'd think that with this sermon, we would have been leading here, right? And we are. And I think for us to go focus back on the cross, I was insufficient, couldn't possibly obey, couldn't deserve salvation. And yet God knew that. And right from the beginning pages, God put a plan into place showing us that he was going to deal with sin. And he has done that for us. So for these few moments here, I just, I, we're just going to be quiet for a couple of minutes. And you have the bread and the cup in your hands, and, and we're just going to be quiet for a few minutes. We're going to examine our hearts, and we're going to see, we're going to ask, God, is there something in me that needs to be dealt with? Is there something in me that needs to be changed? So let's do that now. God, as we examine our hearts, I think of what David wrote. Would you see if there's anything in me that shouldn't be there? And God, that's a scary prayer to pray because we know there is. But God, I pray that we would have the courage to pray that. That we would ask that you would reveal what's going on in our hearts, that we would be honest about it that we would confess those things that need not be there. God, we want to honor you with how we live and how we talk. We want to point others to you because apart from you, we can do nothing. And so God, as we hold this cracker in our hand that that symbolizes your body that was broken for us, we acknowledge that there is nothing that we could do to earn our own way to heaven. But that we were in desperate need of a Savior. And so God, as Paul says in Romans 7, I am thankful that you gave us the law so that I would see my need of you. We thank you for your body broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. Now God, for the cup that we hold, representing your blood spilled for us. We are reminded this morning of the sacrificial system. That blood had to be spilled for our sins. And in the Old Testament, over and over and over did this have to be done. Because the blood of bulls and goats could not forgive sin. 
but it was pointing toward when Jesus would die on the cross, that his blood would be spilled and, and shed for us and that once and for all sin would be dealt with. And so God, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. We thank you that he willingly went to the cross and we acknowledge that there's no other way, there was no other way for us to enter into relationship with you except by that blood. Remind us of this often. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Amen. A strength in remembrance of him. God, as we go now and as we fellowship and as we visit and have coffee together, as we go back to work tomorrow or continue our holidays, whatever it might be, God, would you help us to remain focused on you, that you have given us purpose and meaning, that the way that we live and the way that we act can point others towards you. So God, give us the strength to do that. Help us to follow your Holy Spirit, that we might honor you today and in the days following. Go with us now. We love you. Amen. It's been a privilege to worship with you. Looking forward to visiting, and, and we'll talk with you uh, again soon. Have a great day.